Carl Beston back at it again for another episode of the Beston and Greenway podcast. It's Thursday, 28 April, and uh, welcome to a huge NBL semi-final preview special of the pod. What a week. I always find semi-final week probably the most exciting because you get multiple games. You get two series to look at. You get a game every night that with everything on the line. It, it's just a great week as opposed to the grand final where you've just got the one series, right? It's also in this pod going to talk a little bit about at the end, uh, Perth, Wildcats, the streak is over. Talk about their elimination and then also just do a bit of a breakdown on the NBL awards and make a quick mention about the playing game that was announced today. But yeah, there's really, there's no time to waste. It all starts tonight. We've got the freeway series on the east and the Larry series down south. And tonight we'll start with the down south with Melbourne and Tasmania. That starts tonight. Can't give these two organizations enough credit, you know, for what they've achieved this season you know ever i know everyone talks about the jack jumpers and how you know scott roth and just the energy and you know a new franchise making the nbl playoffs in their first season but i feel like we've sort of taken away a little bit what melbourne has achieved in all this you know everyone wants to talk about the jack jumpers but but i actually want to talk about melbourne united first as as i feel like even though Melbourne United get a huge media focus, right? Everyone talks about Melbourne. You know, it is a Mel like HQ is down here. Melbourne is a, you know, Melbourne is the how would you, you know it is Melbourne's team, right? With all respect to Southeast Melbourne, but everyone kind of talks about them like they're star studded, and you know they should be a lock for the top seed because they're Melbourne United. Well, well, this year they weren't. You know, this team lost their best player in Jock Landell during the offseason, right? That is a monumental loss, right? And they replaced him in the starting lineup with his backup from last year's team. They didn't go get another Jock Landell. They didn't go around searching the NBA. They didn't go around, you know, looking for, like, you know, they didn't go looking for a Nick Kay, you know. They went with their backup, Joe Lawalakil. And, it is near impossible for a team to lose their best player, replacing him with the backup and still retaining a minor premiership. I mean, they also lost Hobson. They also lost McCarron. Granted, they made switch. You know, I think Delhi is an upgrade on McCarron for them. And I think, you know, I think Hobson's better than Nagata, but I have more faith in Nagata than what even Melbourne United fans do. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I just think for them to finish top is is just such a is such a huge thing. You know, it's probably not given enough credit because they are defending champions and all this, but this is not last year's Melbourne United. They they really you know, they're really not. And Dean Vickerman not winning Coach of the Year this year is unlucky as hell. Like I haven't seen a more unlucky situation, like a more unique situation, the Scott Ross situation being so unique that that's the only reason why Dean Vickerman is not coach of the year. Like Dean Vickerman has been outstanding. He has taken a team that is talent deficient relative to their main competitors in that sort of bracket. You know, the league has different tiers of spending and how they go about it. Right. But you know, 
in relation to their true competitors, Sydney, Illawarra, and Perth, like this roster is talent deficient relative to them. And, you know, this, you know, isn't heralded enough what they've achieved this year. It's not only Dean Vickerman, but it's the individual players who are buying into their roles and Dean's junkyard style, junkyard dog sort of style of basketball. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy. You know, this team has become, you know, it's, you know, they're astronomically, the sum is astronomically greater than its parts with this team. It, it truly is. Dean Vickman has done an amazing, amazing job. I also want to give congratulations to the owners, Simon Hupfeld and Larry Kesselman on supporting Dean in his vision here. You know, like this is the team, you know, Dean has built this team along with the GM and they've gone, you know what, we can win with this formula. And and kudos to them because they are a top seed. We'll see how this lineup transitions in the playoffs. I think it'll be pretty good. I think there's some limitations in terms of their scoring, but you know, if a garter, et cetera, can step up, then that'll be great. But you know, the issue is more going to come in the grand final. Right? So yeah, we'll leave that there about, I'll park that praise of Melbourne United there, but I, I really think they are deserving because I like this team was fringe top four for many. Trigg and I talked about them being fringe top four in the pre, in the preview. We're going like only one of them or, you know, it'll be one of them or Southeast Melbourne that get in. We don't know which one. Like to then finishes the top seed, you know, fantastic. I hat, you know, if I was wearing a hat, I would tip it to Melbourne United. Uh, I know there's no shortage of congratulations for the Tasmania Jack Jumpers, but I'm just going to pile in as well here. You know, in particular Scott Roth, Tasmania, what an effort in your first year within the league. They, ironically, they actually bear many similarities. Uh, to Melbourne United, who I was just talking about, with that you know players buying into their very specific roles and and that junkyard dog style of basketball, and they just protect the basketball and they value every possession. They treat every possession like it's their last. And to that end, Scott Roth like has been unbelievable. On this pod, I often like to talk about and on Twitter as well about coaches being leader of men, and Scott Roth epitomizes that whether it's in his game plan, whether it's in his energy, and then also his presence in the community and becoming like he has become a, an honorary Tasmanian, right? You can see it in his in, interactions with the crowd. I know people give that shit, right? But but he is there and he is fully emotionally invested in it. Like he's in tears after they win, you know? That just shows a guy who who wholeheartedly believes in his team and his guys and his product right and you know it kind of reminds me there's a phil jackson quote which i always remember i always cite, and i'm gonna actually have to i say i always cite it right and here i am without it in front of i just got to quickly load it up but it refers to coaches as essentially being salesmen here it is i got it right phil says I think that the most important thing about coaching is that you have to have a sense of confidence about what you are doing. You have to be a salesman and you have to get your players, particularly your leaders, to believe in what you are trying to achieve on the basketball court. The coach is a salesman and Scott Roth is the ultimate salesman in the NBL. 
and he has taken you know this ragtag group of MBL cast-offs and misfits. You know, he's got them buying into every word he says. And he also has the broader Tasmanian community in terms of their fan base and the NBL, like all of us as neutral NBL. Like I'm a neutral NBL fan and I believe in what he's saying, right? And I couldn't be happier for all of them. And he's got like these unique characters. Like Jack McVeigh is, is a very unique character. Josh Adams, Josh Adams, what a star that guy is, right? Everyone wanted to talk about Majette in the offseason, likening, you know, like the Steph Curry comparisons all that sort of shit right but josh adams man like you know he wants another contract give it to him today he is the first signing that tasmania must be doing and i think he was unlucky to miss out on all nbl first team i'll talk about that later but like this team they have these guys who bring that that energy i mean how the hell does a team make that with with all due respect to Fabian Kruzlovich, I think he's a nice role player coming off the bench as we saw in Cairns, right? But they ran with him as their starting center for the majority of the season. How does a team with a six foot seven, six foot eight, you know, six foot seven guy at center wind up making the playoffs? Like, it's just unfathomable, right? Like, how, how did this happen? And, you know, like, I couldn't be happier for them. I was, you know, I was a critic of them early as well like I'll, I'll put my hand in the air I said I I thought they were a bad team and they played bad looking basketball when they were at two and six right fully a minute and I stand by that right it is a bit ugly but you have to respect it man and it may not be pretty you know much like Melbourne United like you know they have that junkyard dog like we're gonna ride you and and every possession but kudos to them you know and i stand corrected i was wrong well done tasmania jack jumpers well done scott roth and i'll also note that larry kesselman um has done and again like i'll be critics of mbl hq and kesselman and low liga and that when i when i am but i'll also give them due praise when they deserve it too and as owner and building this you know Tasmania Jack Jumpers franchise. I, I think he's done a fantastic job, and he's done you know you know great things, setting them up for success. Not only this season, but as a long term path into the future, right? So, really, really happy, and and that's key with new franchises because I remember Rowan Short in the pod with Seb and I said you only get a chance to be a startup once right you know the famous line right when we're talking about the southeast melbourne phoenix and that's that's kind of what it is you only get to be a new franchise once and i i think they've nailed it ownership has nailed it hiring you know uh, in terms of we, we spoke to the gm as well like we are we've spoken to everyone we've spoken to a lot of people from tasmania they've done a great job and um yeah anyway enough of the compliments i'm being too nice here i'm this isn't me. What what the hell, right? Who am I? Look at me giving giving compliments to to Melbourne United and ownership groups and all that sort of stuff. But you know, like yeah, you have to. And you know, I'll, I'll be less kind now. I've got to break down the series, right? Because you have to be critic. You have to cast a critical eye when you're when you're looking over who's going to win and how, right? But for me, the key difference in this series, and and I think it's. It doesn't take like it doesn't take a basketball savant to work this out, right? But the key difference in this series for me is that Melbourne United have a just a distinctly huge advantage on the interior. Tasmania just simply 
do not have the requisite like interior talent and size to compete with you know Melbourne United with JLA and Huck Porty. You know, so even if JLA winds up in foul trouble, Huck Porty still presents huge issues for Tasmania. And looking at the data, I'm just looking at the advanced stats now. Um, courtesy of actually a uh, friend of the pod has appeared in previous seasons for us, uh, Jordan McCullum. Uh, and on his data by play types, United get more scores from putbacks than any team in the league. And this, you know, this presents a why? Why does that matter? Well, it presents a huge issue for Tasmania with their Krizlovich slash McIntosh slash Perry front court. That isn't, you know, they're not a great rebounding combo. They require, you know, they require rebounding from their guards and small for and like yeah, McVeigh at power forward as well with rebounding. But it they just have the worst rim protection in the league. They've got the lowest block percentage as well, looking at the advanced stats this season uh, in the league, it's abysmally low. So I just don't see how that works for them. You know, and the lack of rim protection will also show up because United are so good off of cuts and in transition. So I think like looking at Jordan's data here, that yeah, Melbourne United, like amongst the league leaders in points of cuts and in transition, like huge numbers. And if you can't provide protection for them, them, you know, at the rim after they're able to get scores close to the bucket in trans and off of cuts, it, you know, help D is crucial there. Help D rim protection is huge and Tasmania just don't have it. Another concern for me in this series, another key deciding factors, you can all tell I'm leaning towards Melbourne United winning this series, right? Tasmania rely on isolation plays a lot. Again, you look at the data, look at Jordan's data here. Uh, particularly, you know, they rely on isolation. And largely that comes through Josh Adams, right, who has been unbelievable this season. Unlucky to not get All-NBL first team. I think he probably deserved it over Cleveland, but I, I think we all knew Cleveland was probably going to get it, right? And But the problem is with perimeter isolation, guys, this is very, very dangerous against Melbourne United, right? Because Melbourne can throw at you some of the elite perimeter defenders in the NBL, namely De- Matthew Delavadova, who's, I think, the best, and then Shaili, who's right up there as well. You know, and you know, he, it, they're going to give Adams hell, and I think they're going to send they're going to send one of them to Adams, right? McIntosh is, is another off-the-dribble threat. But United, I think, also have the capability to guard him as well as... You know, Jack White, for all of his limitations offensively, is is pretty decent against undersized bigs. You know, I wouldn't put him on a big that's over six eight because you know he is small, but he can deal with guys like McIntosh who are that utility big who aren't really you know they're a tweener. Jack White matches up well there, and so does JLA with his length, and you know he's athletic and mobile as well. They're both very competent defenders. So, you know, with some of this isolation stuff, it's going to be difficult. Now, I've kind of painted a real... I understand. This is a real negative picture for Tasmania. So if I'm sitting there in the you know in the film room with Tasmania, like, what would I be saying? How can they win this? And how can they make an impact and compete in this series? For me, it it's going to sound... This is going to sound stupidly simple, but it's going to have to come from the three-point line. You know, they shoot more threes than anyone in the NBL, particularly in spot-up situations, right? 
they're going to have to shoot at an incredible clip to stand a chance in this series. Uh, you know, as Let's be real, the, the points in the paint are going to be sparse. They need Majet to come up big from three. We need those, we need that Steph, those Steph Curry comparisons to come to life in this series. We really, you know, it was advertised in the preseason that this guy was, you know, this was a, this guy was a shooter anywhere over half court, you know, and I think he needs to come up as advertised in this series. I also think Steindl is key off the bench. And then you need just your backup. You need all these guys. Like you need Canyon to be able to hit one. You need McIntosh to be able to hit them. Because they're going to they're be the guys they're going to leave. Right? Mel, they're the guys that Melbourne are going to help off. Dean Vickerman is going to have this scouted to the max. He's going to dare certain people to beat him from the perimeter. And he's going to say, you know what? If you beat me that way, shake their hand. In the words of Andrew Gaze, I think in a broadcast a couple of years, you shake their hands and you say good game, right? Melbourne will accept losing that way. But, you know, they're not going to accept giving up threes to Majette, Adams, etc. Right? So, yeah, it's gonna, that's going to be crucial. And then guys like McDaniel, etc. are going to have to play above themselves in this series. And, and I think McVay can. McVay is going to have to hit the three ball. And I think McVay and White is actually going to be a really, really good matchup. It's going to be a lot of fun. So I, I think that, that will be good. I, uh, what else would I suggest with Tasmania? Well, I think they have, to, they have to be who they are too, right? So they play with the lowest pace in the NBL. That's a benefit here because, you know, they know they're not as talented as other teams. Roth knows that, right? And so you have to protect, you know, the basketball, not turn the ball over, you know, and you have to limit the number of possessions in this series. Melbourne can't assert their dominance over Tasmania if there's only so many possessions to do it. It's only a 40-minute game, Right. So if you can use shot clock and get quality shots and get through your stuff, every possession, it will frustrate Melbourne. It will keep them out of transition, which is one of their key factors, and it will reduce any sort of margin they're able to create. And then you can hope that late in games, they get nervous. And Tasmania have been great in late game situations. They've won so many games this season in such situations you go from opening night against brisbane all the way now to the huge win in perth like tasmania have balls in big moments they have balls in big moments and that's you know that is key here they need to stand up to that and they need to replicate that in the playoffs you know and tasmania need to get melbourne into the half court if they want to stand a chance in this series melbourne are not a very good half court team they're just not right they, you know, and they rely on getting scores by committee, off cuts, etc. Right? If they let Melbourne get out and transition, this series is going to be a bloodbath. And they've got to be really careful because Tasmania struggled in late game situations. Whether, like, it, it, no, I said they would just have balls in late game situations, but in recent weeks they've turned the ball over in the backcourts. The, the Southeast Melbourne game sticks in my mind. Majette and Adams need to be sure with the ball against Delhi, Illy, etc. Right. I also want to make a quick point about Melbourne, you know, the Melbourne tank job on the weekend, right? Everyone goes, oh, yeah, it's, you know, they rested players, blah, blah, blah. You know, Delhi was off at the dentist getting a clean bit of whitening done. You know, they say wisdom teeth. I'm not sure. Who cares? Either way, you know, like, sure, I, I would have been booked for another time 
anyway if you know it's hardly wisdom teeth it's hardly emergency surgery let's be honest you can plan it ahead of time even if it is so it's a bit i don't know but anyway jla goulding illy they all played like 27 minutes they didn't rest anyone at all right my question was that's i didn't understand that on the weekend you know didn't they trust Brewster, triplet etc to to not try and lose a game you know because you know they they would they want it's their chance they want to go right i felt like those guys should have played more and and they should have gone down that path but clearly they wanted to play tasmania instead of playing perth you know good they got what they wish for here roth surely has that up on the bulletin board right that these guys don't respect you they don't think you're a very good team you know all the usual motivational you know the slights you use to drum up motivation and he should because it was i think a bit disrespectful what they did on the weekend so you know melbourne have a you know tasmania have a go out have a chance to go out there and prove it i also think tasmania if you know if they're gonna if they're if they're any chance to win this series they probably have to win game one in melbourne because game three on the road is just it's it's a lot to ask uh but as to how I see this series going, I'm taking Melbourne United, obviously. Uh, the, qu- the question for me is whether it'll be a sweep or, or three games. My head says a sweep. Uh, my heart says three games. I'm going to say Melbourne in three games. I think Tasmania, where, I mean, we'll go... Tasmania get the fairy tale win in in game two in in front of their amazing home fan base, but then I think the Melbourne Melbourne United come back in game three, massive blowout win and uh, punch their ticket to the NBL Grand Final. I think tonight is crucial for Tasmania, and generally in playoff series you see it in the NBA, you see it in the NBL, you see it in the Euroleague. Teams on the road generally get one chance. Right, when you're on the road, you generally get one chance to win, and when you get it, you have to grab it with both hands. We saw it a couple of years ago in Cairns versus Perth, where Cairns had the game dead to rights against Perth with a minute to go, and then blew it, giving up the miraculous comeback. So I think that is, uh, you know, if Tasmania are going to get one shot in this series. I think if they're going to get a shot, it will probably be tonight. Um, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I'm picking, let's go Melbourne in three. But the other series, Sydney and Illawarra, it, yeah, it's a much harder series to pick. Like um, like Melbourne and Tasmania, I sort of have to, yeah, I'll give them, I'll, I'll give them both credit again. I know Sydney pissed off with me for calling them arrogant in that loss to Adelaide. But you know what, pundits, various pundits rode both of these teams off at different points in the season, whether it was the Kings' very slow start in which they were blowing games, they lost whatever by 40 to United, etc. People were riding them off. Stupidly, I may add, because realistically they were down Jalen Adams, who is MVP of the league. They were down another import. They were down the second import spot as well, which they eventually obviously brought in Ian Clark with so they were they were very much down on talent and then they went on once they got the full team assembled they went on the 13 game winning streak and it was just all rolling from there right I have to give both and then the Hawks as well 
you know, had an incredibly tough run home and they just smashed through it, right? Again, pundits got that wrong. I got that wrong. I I thought I didn't want to, I didn't ride Illawarra off like other people did, but I said, geez, you'd have to favour on strength of schedule southeast Melbourne. But the Hawks got their win on, you know, got their two wins in Melbourne, which completely changed the season. Then also Vic Law getting injured meant that Perth game on the road became a bit easier. Now this series is, you know, it's a really tough one for me to pick, to be honest, because although I think the Kings are the far better team, which they are, on paper they're the far better team, right? And I think they play better basketball than what Illawarra do. Illawarra, you know, like, and this is coming from someone who, who's bet on Illawarra, made some money on Illawarra, lost some money on Illawarra this season. They're, they're a very, they're a hard team to watch if you get them in the half court. Their offense sucks. Like, it, it just flat out sucks. They're incredibly talented, which makes up for it. But boy, it's a certainly laborious, right? Uh, it's you know, it, it's not pretty, to put it lightly. So you know, it's it's a tough pick this series, right? It really is a tough pick because let's be honest, the Kings are the better team, but home court advantage in the NBL is you know, home court advantage is king. Right, it is king in the NBL playoffs. It's near impossible to win a series as the road seed. We've seen that in recent years. You know, it's it's so incredibly hard to win on the road. You know, home advantage rules, home cooking rules. You know, it's so hard to pick against the Kings. It really, really is because I look at this team and I go, it's the most talented team in the NBL. It's the best team in the NBL, and it's so hard to deny them picking them in the series, right? It, if I feel like I'll look like an idiot in a week's time when I pick the King, when I pick Illawarra here, and then the Kings just, you know, go to town on them, right? I don't think that happens, but you know there is the potential to do that because they are a great team, right? This is the best team on paper left in the playoffs. You know, also, you know, Illawarra. The only thing that also makes me nervous about picking Illawarra and leaning towards Sydney which I'm not going to do by the way but it's one of my concerns about the Illawarra thing is you know I talk about the home cooking the home court advantage Illawarra are a team of perimeter threats right they rely largely on handoffs and on transition threat you know they're a, they're a three-point shooting team that doesn't put and perimeter shooting team that doesn't put any pressure on the rim this team does not get at the rim it does not finish at the rim well apart from maybe Reith and uh, and Cleveland this team really doesn't, and even Cleveland, like Reith, kind of shoots. He's more of a turnaround jump shooter. Same as Cleveland. Cleveland's like a mid-range finisher or a dunker. They don't really put a lot of pressure on the rim, and if you don't put pressure on the rim, it limits the home court. You know, the home cooking effect, right? And I don't think. And Gorgian has complained about this in press conferences in the past, that you know, like that we don't get enough free throws comparatively to others and all that. You know, that was especially the case during the NBL Cup last year. I think he said it. But the thing is, unless you're getting on the rim, unless you finish at the rim, unless you're putting pressure on the rim, you know, you're not going to – it's physically impossible to get those calls. So, you know, Illawarra, it's not like playing Melbourne or something where they attack the rim a lot. You know, I, I'm not sure the effect of that, how much that home court advantage means. So I'll start with the positives for the Kings before winding up explaining my conclusion that Illawarra will win this series. The positive for the King, Kings are that they've they've only really played Illawarra with a proper full team once and they won, right? And they won on the road. 
Granted, it was very close and in overtime, right? But if we look at the weekend, they were without, you know, that's the best guide, right? Let's, let's throw out the early season stuff. The first game, first meeting, first couple of meetings, you know, Jalen Adams wasn't playing. Third time he was coming off injury restrictions. Let's, let's throw those all in the bin. Right, let's go by the weekend. I know Jalen Adams wasn't playing on the weekend, right? Okay. But we'll go that's the that's the closest thing we've got in terms of assessing it, right? On the weekend they were without Jalen Adams. Jarrell Martin was limited to what, like like ten minutes? He was pretty effective in those ten minutes, but he was limited to ten minutes and and the Hawks shot at that incredible clip in the first half, right? Like Jessup went off. Harvey went off. I think they were shooting at like 80% from three, right? It was it was 80% at halftime. That simply can't be replicated. Like it might for a quarter, it might for a half. Maybe it could be for a half again, but like, geez, that's the best that the Hawks could play, I think, right? So that's one positive is I don't think the Hawks can come out with the first half again like they did on Sunday. Liam Santa Maria also astutely pointed out something on the broadcast about the weekend's game, that the loss was beneficial to the Kings in some respects as it provided an extra two days before the game occurred, right? So that gave, that gives Adams and Jarrell Martin, as well as anyone else who's got sore bodies like Cook's got a knock on the knee and that on the weekend, you know, so they got an extra two days to recover you know and that's huge coming off you know martin's coming off covid spiritual illness right you 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 want those extra day to get you you know you get your win back you know and same with adams adams was illness i'm not sure the specifics of the illness but it's just an extra two days right and you know that's huge i'll also note on the weekend too that the other thing the kings can sort of take away from it too was even despite all that they were able to get back within one and you know that Cooks Cleveland went into Cooks's legs at the end of the game I thought it was a foul I did I thought the Kings were wrong on the halftime call they were technically wrong on the halftime call right like that technically was a foul on Swakala Bullock but they would never call like that's never called right so there's no point reviewing it because it's technically there but we all know it's an unwritten rule of basketball like shit you don't you don't call it, right? But they'll be taking, oh, yeah, those call, you know, that end of game call for Cooks, you know, that probably goes our way in another game, right? So you lose that way. But moving beyond that, uh, you know, also, I know we, it's not analysis of the game, but, you know, I try and talk about some of the commercial realities of the NBL and, and how, it, you know, what it means for teams, the league, et cetera, and what's going on. The... I think it's a also a huge thing for the Kings from a commercial perspective that they uh, lost on Sunday. And it's also on court as well. This matters on court as well because given that the schedule, it meant a change in the schedule rather than the night game where it's hard to get kids to venues. You know, it's you're going out, if you're going out in traffic, out into wet, you know, if you're going out into Kudos Bank Arena, it's, you know, it's tough traffic-wise, you know, peak hour on an evening. You know, they get the Sunday home game now as opposed to, a, I think, what would have been a Friday night. What is game one? What is game one now? So I think that is a huge, huge deal commercially because I think they're probably going to get 15K plus, right? I don't mean to put 
pressure on them here. That would be my estimate, judging based on previous seasons, as opposed to a night game where it's hard to take the kids, it's hard to beat the traffic, etc. So I think it's commercially a great thing for the Kings and, and for the league as, as well because it'll look great on you, it'll like look great to the international audience, it'll look essentially like an NBA crowd. You will it'll look great across the country on. I, I'm not sure it's on ten on the weekend. I just watch the games on ESPN, but I'm sure it's available. I think it's available as well. I saw an announcement on Ko as well with Ko freebies. Like it's going to look good in front of the country having that many fans at the game in what is a crazy environment. So I think that is a big positive as well. Uh, what the negatives are for the Kings are they need to stop Illawarra dominating on the glass with wreath and frolling. You have to, again, it's the playoffs. You can't allow second possessions, right? So you have to stop those guys. And I think they have the highest amount of footbacks in the NBL. Yep, they do. Just looking at it now. My apologies. I think I said that, uh, I didn't say that JLA... I didn't say Melbourne had the most. I think I said they had more than Tasmania. But if I did, sorry, like a bit of a word salad there. But yeah, I have to keep them off the glass. And sorry, they're not the highest team in the NBL. I stand corrected. Adelaide is, but you know, it's the second highest team. Yeah, and I think the other thing they have to do is they have to take advantage of the frolling matchup as well. Because I think that Martin and... Martin and Cooks are too mobile, too skilled, and they can give Froling a lot of problems. They also need to clamp down on Harvey in transition. They also need to, you know, to to keep Jessup as quiet as possible. He, I, I feel like Jessup is the Hawks' bellwether player, and we saw it on the weekend. He came out huge, and so did the Hawks. Right? They and they, you know, they seem to Gorgian seems to go to get Jessup going early in quarters. You need to put that fire out straight away if you're the Kings. Now, on the other reverse side of things, Illawarra, again, I said before, it's simple with Tasmania. I'll say it again here with Illawarra. It's going to sound basic, guys, but they have to continue to shoot the three well. They aren't an inside team. You know, yes, they crash the boards off those long perimeter shots and get putbacks, etc. but they're not like a... They're not really a... I have to look at the data. I haven't got... Don't tell me I have to pull it up again. But to my eye, they aren't a... You know, they aren't really a real post-up, back-you-down traditional team here. It's a jump shooter in Wreath and and just a workhorse in Froling. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes, you know, with in terms of, you know, how many points they can get in the paint. Another thing that will be really interesting is how they use Defensive Player of the Year Cleveland, right? You know, he's... Antonius Cleveland, my guess he will go to Adams, would be my pick. But the alternative is that maybe in big moments, and I think they'll do this too, by the way, I, I think expect this from Brian Gorgian, that in big moments he will go for small ball lineups against the Kings and he'll shift Cleveland to the four to guard Cooks, right? And Wreath, obviously, at the five... Jarrell Martin you know this will that will allow Xavier Rath and Mays to play more minutes and you know that's crucial for them you know to keep up keep up the scoring rate and with a threat on the floor you know with a with a high-powered Kings right and to be honest like I actually really look forward to watching yes two Golden State-esque lineups of death there with you know on one side what so it'll be uh, Xavier Rath and Mays Tyler Harvey, 
Justinian, Jessup, um, Antonius Cleveland, and Joop Wraith against Jalen Adams, Dayan Vasiljevic, Ian Clark, Xavier Cooks, Jarrell Martin. You imagine how exciting that is, like the quality of player in the clutch in this series. Like, I, I can't wait to watch both these teams. I have a ton of respect for both of them and their lineups, their coaching, everything. So now I have to give a... I've waffled on for long enough here. I've tried to avoid it. I've tried to avoid giving my prediction because in my head, I'm still trying to weigh up who I want to pick. And as much as I think the Kings are the better team, and as I've said, I think they have match-up advantages with the Hawks in my analysis here, I can't go against home court. It's just not my mantra in how I, you know, in terms of how I pick in the NBL. And, you know, it's just too much. I, you know, the, the advantage of the crowd, the advantage of, and the associated home cooking that comes with that, you know, was it the sound of affirmation, right? It is so rare to see a lower, seri- lower seed win a series in the NBL. And I just think the trend continues here. But, but you know, if anyone's going to do it, it's these Sydney Kings because they are, it's uber talented roster. I think they're well coached. I think they know what they're doing. And again, they buy into their system as well. And they have big time players in Jalen Adams and Ian Clark has played minutes, key minutes in NBA on an NBA championship Warriors team, right? Like these guys have experience, but overall, I won't forgive myself if I don't pick the Hawks because I always, I go with, I ride with home court guys and I think Illawarra win this series. I think it's going to be an excruciatingly close game three, could go either way, but I'm taking Illawarra. There you go. They're my two picks. I'm picking a Melbourne United, Illawarra Hawks final. But again, I wouldn't be shocked if it's Melbourne and Sydney. And to be honest, Melbourne and Sydney will probably be the better series. But I just think so hard for lower seeds to win. Now, before I sign off on this uh, semi-final preview, a huge topic this week I know has been the Wildcats missing the playoffs. Everyone has an opinion on the Wildcats missing the playoffs. And... I actually thought it was kind of sad on the weekend. It, you know, like going on social media, seeing the criticism of the team. I know people criticise me because I said that, you know, Perth fans kind of let themselves down a bit. But to be honest, they did. And you can even see it from some of the real, you know, like some of the real diehard fans at Perth who I who hate me. Like, don't get me wrong, they hate me with a passion. But even they were saying like, and they're the first to line up and smash me. But even they were saying like, it, it was a bit much. It was a bit much on the weekend. And, you know, obviously, congratulate, like, the streak is over. Uh, You know, an unparalleled streak that is, you know, simply amazing. And, you know, all the credit to that organization over that period of time. But, you know, I feel like if talking about this too much, and it seemed to be the big focus of the weekend, I, I feel like it takes away and it distracts from from the achievements of the top four and those who did make it and, and the final series to come ahead, right? So I don't really want to engage in the topic too much. In my opinion, if you're asking for my executive summary of kind of what went wrong, I, you know, put simply, the you know, the Wildcats, you know, didn't rise to the occasion when they needed to. I know that's very simple, but but fans in the media, you know, like already are trying to cover it up by blaming Morrison, you know, rather than facing, you know, the hard home truths of, of what really happened, right? And Cotton wasn't the Cotton of seasons past, 
right? Like, I love Bryce Cotton. I, th- you know, I had him as MVP for the majority of the season, but he was not good down the stretch. He wasn't efficient. It was it was tough sledding for him. And but I don't blame him because you know a lot a lot rides with him, right? Law got injured, right? But but most importantly, and I think the thing that no one wants to acknowledge, right? Because everyone just you know. They're the favorite sons. No one wants to say a bad word, right? But the favorite sons, Norton, Travers, Wagstaff, and, and Blanchfield were just awful in this series. They gave Cotton no support. I don't blame Cotton at all. Like, man, as I said, like, no, no one apart from Atlas has ever had to carry such a burden, right? Like, these other guys gave him nothing, and Perth fans, you can blame Morrison, you can kick and scream, you can blame Hutchie, you can do all these things. But at the end of the day, like, it was those guys who, they just went missing when it mattered. And you know who else? And now Perth is missing the NBL playoffs. That's what happened. I don't think they managed the Brown situation well either. I think that caused a detrimental effect. Everyone screamed at me about that too. Just not healthy in a locker room. And you move on. And... I tell you what, though, I tell you, they can't blame, they can't blame the usual, they can't blame all the usual suspects on the weekend. Frazier was very good, and I didn't think Morrison really did anything wrong. So there you go. That's my take on the situation. Hate mail will be sure to arrive in my DMs or even more publicly on on Twitter. I'm sure, but that's my view. NBL awards think they largely got it right. Cooks should have probably got in over law, I think. But I understand that voting took place a few weeks ago, so it doesn't take into account the collapse at the end of the season. And I think if it was conducted today, I don't think law would have made it and Cooks would have gone in. I think Cooks is incredibly stiff. He had a huge law. You know, it's incredibly unlucky not to make it. But, you know, they are, you know, he led the league in what rebounds, you know, led the league in block shots, you know, passes the ball dribbles the ball shoots the ball i don't think there's yeah i thought he had a huge season i thought he was well and truly deserving of first team i thought he was better in those regards he was better across the floor than law and he was better than jla to be honest jla was great jla was also very inconsistent right uh again i think both cooks and law are better players than jla but United deserved a player in the team given their, you know, the season that they had that I spoke about earlier. You know, they finished top, you know, they got the minor premiership, right? JLA was huge in that. Uh, so I have no complaints about JLA being in. I would rather, but I think Cooks probably should have got in over law. And in hindsight, I think the voters would have gone that way if the vote was counted out a couple of weeks later. I thought Cleveland would get first team, but again, with Tasmania getting in, I felt like Adams deserved more credit than what he got. And I think Adams probably deserved to make the all NBL first team this year. Yeah. Uh, but that was huge. I, yeah, we all knew it was, yeah, we all knew it was going to be close between those two. I think as I tweeted, they got the MVP, right? People cite less games for Adams, for Jalen Adams, not Josh Adams, Jalen Adams, but there were no like Adams, yeah, he played less games, but there were no less Ws, right? Sydney won those games in which he played. And he had as I think he had as many wins as Cotton anyway, despite missing all those games. Right? If not more. I think it was the same. Yeah, it was the same. And he came up 
And the difference was Adams, when the Kings needed Adams, Adams came up huge, whether it was that game in Adelaide, the game in, against Brisbane at home. Yeah, I know they're meaningless. I, I, you go, oh, yeah, they were against Brisbane, they were against Adelaide. Well, Cotton came up miserably short against Adelaide in the game they needed to have too, right? And I love Cotton's games, but he came up huge, He came up short in games against Adelaide and Tasmania at home when they really needed to win. And he missed the playoffs. Adams is your MVP, to be honest, I'm surprised. It, it was only that close because it was a couple of weeks ago again, too. Finally, we have the NBL announcing that there'll be a playing game next season. I think this is such a dumb idea, it's not funny. And it's just another effort by the NBL to try and replicate the NBA. The little brother syndrome still exists, right? I just think it's crazy that in a 10-team competition with only 28 games where there is no incentive to tanking like in the NBA. There's no incentive to tanking. We don't have a draft, right? There are, there's no incentive apart from resting bodies or trying to pick your opponent, which we saw on the week. There's no benefit to it. So I just think it's stupid. I think it undermines the value of the regular season. I had Kim American, yeah, I had Kim from America on our pod last week for Kim's picks, and he was saying like the beauty of the NBL relative to the NBA is the value of the regular season and teams turn up pretty much every night, right? Now you're devaluing that. Now teams will start stuffing around even earlier if they know they're in them if they're locked in sort of four and five seats. I like the chase at the end of the season between what is generally the four, five, and six seats. I think you take away from that by having a playing game. You lose some of the drama associated with the NBL season, you, especially after the weekend that we just saw, where it was it was a shocking round apart from really the last day, where they had two games that mattered for seeding and getting in. Right, so I just think just feel like this is the in thing to do, and the NBL thinks this is cool. I personally think it's shit, but hey, each their own. Other people probably love it, and that's cool too. Not a problem. And you know what? They go next. One of these teams gets an extra home game, make them some dollars, which can't hurt in the current environment. So, yeah, that's another episode of the Best and Best and Greenway NBL podcast. Um, you know how it all works. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know, whatever podcasting app you use. Please leave a review. Click five stars, of course. Be very, very much appreciated. You can also find me on Twitter at, you know, and Instagram at Carl Beston. DMs are always open for sliding for all of your NBL comments, questions, even venting about your team. I'm here for it. So please send it through if you want to. I will be back again next week for a huge NBL grand final preview. You know, I'll be joined by a guest or two. Still trying to sort out if there'll be a second or not. Uh, and I hope to speak to you then. And I really hope you enjoy the semifinals. Two huge series, four great teams. It's going to be fun. Enjoy the weekend, guys.